If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Small New Testament book, but I would have to say this particular text of Scripture, God used more than any other to change my life. So if you're not excited about it, that's okay. I am. Philippians is a great, great book. And we're going to jump right in today. I'm going to give you some quick background information, a few facts here right up front so you can know what this book is all about. It was written by a man named Paul, who you've probably heard of. And Paul was a sold-out Christian, wasn't he? If ever there was a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, it was Paul. So we're going to get to see life from the vantage point of a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Paul was also a spiritual leader. Few people in history have been used to impact so many people for Jesus Christ as Paul was. And so those of us who want God to use us to impact other people for Christ, we do well to take heed to what he says to us in the book of Philippians. And we know also that he was a church planter. And who knows, God may tap you on the shoulder someday and say, hey, I want you to be part of a church planting team. There's a team forming right now. Ben and Shendra Miller, Tim and Amy Toole, and others praying about joining that team to start a church out in the East Albany corridor that's going to be exploding uh, these next five to ten years. So who knows? God may tap you on the shoulder one day, as he did me 25 years ago. Well, that's Paul, and he wrote this letter in A.D. 60, about 30 years after Jesus Christ went back to heaven. So Christianity had been spreading for about 30 years and now was reaching into Europe. He wrote this when he was in Rome under house arrest. You say, what's that all about? Well, if you lived in the Roman Empire at that time, it was ruled by who? Caesar. And uh, Caesar had this thing. He thought he was a pretty hot dude, and so he said, everybody's got to worship me. Everybody's got to give me their full devotion and allegiance. So here comes this guy, Paul, walking around saying, no, Jesus Christ is the only one who deserves our full devotion and allegiance. And that got him in trouble. That was frowned upon. And so he was under house arrest there in Rome, awaiting the outcome of his trial and really the fate of his life. He writes to this church in Philippi. Uh, He had had a partnership with them for about 10 years. That church had started when Paul received a vision called the Macedonian Vision from a guy who was saying, come on over to our region, what we would call modern-day Greece. Come on over and help us over here. And so Paul and his partner Silas went to Philippi, and they started a church. Uh, Charter members of that church were a lady named Lydia that he met on the riverbank there when he first arrived in Philippi and her family. And then there was the jailer and his family. Do you remember that story? That was in Philippi. That happened where Paul and Silas were in jail, and they were uh, praying and singing praises, and then this earthquake came and shook the jail to its foundations. It also ended up shaking this jailer to his foundations. And he came to Paul and said, show me how to be saved, please. Your God is a powerful God. And so he and his family became part of that fledgling congregation there. Paul loved this church. Throughout this letter, he just he felt a spiritual connection. He loved these people. And really, Philippians is a thank you letter because he had just received the latest in many gifts, financial gifts from this church. 
that gift had been delivered by the hand of a man named Epaphroditus. Would you say that with me? Epaphroditus. Would you name your son Epaphroditus? Well, he was a good guy, and uh, we'll encounter him a couple times as we go through the book of Philippians. So it's a thank you note back to this church. And uh, let's dive right in. Philippians chapter 1 starts this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Stop there. You know, I think in our spiritual journey, all of us who follow Christ need to get to a point of maturity where we say, like they said, first and foremost, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm not out so much to please people. That's not what it's all about. It's his smile that I'm after, first and foremost. It's his well done that I want to hear more than anybody else's well done. I'm Kevin. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm Betty. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm Steve. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, I'm writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. So apparently this church, being 10 years old, had matured to the point where they had a leadership structure in place. And these are the two offices of a New Testament church, overseer, we sometimes call elder, and deacon. Now, as an aside, we are in a process in our church right now of getting ready to approve three additional elders to our elder board. And here they are. And I've been joking this weekend, as you look at these guys, would you buy a used car from any one of these guys? Now, these are great, great men, Jay and Bill and Jeff, and I hope that you'll be in prayer for them. Next weekend, at the end of our services, we'll have a, a little business meeting at the end to vote uh, approval on these guys as elders, overseers of New Life Church. Grace and peace to you, he says, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, he says. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. How many of you have ever heard of the word koinonia? You've heard that word before, koinonia, maybe wondered what it meant. Well, in the King James Bible, it translates it as fellowship, but it's really more than that. It's more than just hanging out together. It's fellowship with a purpose or partnership, and that's how it's translated here. I pray with joy because of your Koinonia, your partnership, your teamwork in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right, he says, for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains, as he was at that moment, writing, he was in prison, or when I'm out defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. You're my partners. And God himself can testify how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. So he's going to tell them what he's praying for, for them. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, 
may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. What day is that? The day of his return, right? That we just sang about a few moments ago when he's coming back. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, what we see in the opening verses of this letter is a man who is greatly enjoying this partnership, 10 years, that he's had with this church at Philippi. And he wants to do everything he can to strengthen that partnership so that it'll last into the future and continue to bring joy to both he and to the Philippians. Throughout this book, we're going to see all kinds of different sources of joy that God wants to use to fill the hearts of his people. But today we're going to talk about the joy of teamwork, the joy of partnership. And I'm not a betting man, okay? But if I was, I would wager that when you think back in your life to the times when your heart was just really full, full of joy, I'll bet that in that picture were some teammates, some partners of some sort in ministry or or on a sports team or whatever. I brought my letterman's jacket with me today. And um, from 1977, now, I know this will surprise you, I did not wrestle. That was not my sport in high school. I played tennis, and uh, tennis was big. Why is that funny? (laughs) Tennis is a great sport. Anyway, on the West Coast in the 70s, tennis was big. And uh, it was big in my high school, and my, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, he's not going to embarrass himself by trying to put that on 30 years later, is he? No, I'm not. I could, but it would not be a Kodak moment, so I won't do it. But I think, when I think back in my life to the first time I experienced the joy of teamwork, it was being part of that tennis team. And that team was good. I mean, it was very, very good. We had some of the best players in the state, best high school players in the state on our tennis team. And so, of course, we were a little cocky, and we did win our league both of the years that I played. But, you know, it wasn't just playing tennis. It was was being with guys that I liked, loved the same thing. We enjoyed practicing together. We hung out together. It was just plain old fun to be part of a team. How many of you have experienced something like that? Just the joy of teamwork. Okay. It's just a fun thing. Um, These teams that have gone down to the Gulf Coast region and and served down there and blessed people down there, then they've come back and they've, you know, they were blessed by a lot of things, but particularly just the teamwork, just doing something, you know, fulfilling a worthy cause with other people, like-minded people. It's a lot of fun. There is potential for great joy when you partner up with other people in accomplishing a worthy cause. I want you to think for a moment about the different kinds of partnerships that there are in life, okay? Think about marriage. That's a partnership. Or a business partnership, perhaps. I was talking with a guy the other day in this church who's linking up with another guy in this church to start a business together, and you can just tell, you know, it's going to be fun. There, is, um, there are ministry partnerships, serving teams, sports teams, small groups are partnerships, mentoring partnerships, 
You have a missionary and then the supporters of that missionary partnering together. That's what we see in the book of Philippians. Really a church is a partnership, is it not? Every month when we take new members into our church and they stand up here and sometimes they're embarrassed to do that, but we recite this membership covenant together. That's to just reaffirm that partnership together. Now, think about all those different kinds of partnerships, some of which you have in your life. And I want to give you a a general statement that I'm convinced applies to all partnerships. And it could sum up today's sermon in a single sentence, okay? So if you don't get anything else, take this away. I'm convinced that lasting, joy-filled partnerships don't just happen. I believe they've got to be built and they've got to be strengthened continuously. Do you believe that? Say you see a married couple who's been married for 20 or 30 or 40 years and you see them together and, and they still love each other. In fact, they're, they're starting to look like each other, you know, when you see them. And uh, there's obviously, you know, a lot of love and affection there and, and the wife still has the sparkle in her eye when she looks at her husband. That doesn't just happen, okay? That doesn't just happen. That's not just the luck of the draw that causes that. You can be assured there's been some work that's gone into that relationship, that partnership over the years. For sure there has been. We've got to work at strengthening the key relationships, the key partnerships in our lives. I think that's what the first several verses of this letter are all about. When I read it, I... That's what I see Paul doing, strengthening this 10-year partnership with the Philippians. Now, how did he do it? How do we strengthen our key teammates and partnerships in our lives? Well, when I looked at this, several things jumped out. Number one, expressing appreciation. That's how he started his letter. He said, "Um, church, I just want you to know I thank my God every time I remember you. I'm thankful for you. I believe one of the simplest, easiest ways to make a strong partnership even stronger is to make sure that your partner knows that his or her contribution is valued and greatly appreciated. Express appreciation. Let me ask, do your business partner's gifts complement yours and result in in productivity? Do they? Why not tell them? Why not express that to them? Uh, Your partner in ministry, do they just add a whole lot to, to your ministry efforts? Why not tell them? Does your spouse keep their stinky socks picked up off the bathroom floor on Wednesdays? Why not let them know how much you appreciate that? Who knows? Tuesdays might change after a while. Listen, everybody... Everybody wants to be appreciated. I don't know that I've ever met anyone who said, you know, I've just about had it up to here with being appreciated. (laughs) No. We all want to be recognized and appreciated for our contribution, for what we bring to the table. And someone might say, well, I don't think it's that important. I don't think it's going to really, you know, matter that much. Are you sure? There might be some key partnerships in your life that that is exactly what's needed these days is appreciation 
expressed. Uh, just this last week, Pastor Brian came to me and he said, you know, we've got people who've been serving on our staff for a long, long time, serving faithfully, serving diligently. And he said, I don't know that we've done that much to really appreciate them and recognize them. And he had a great idea for that. And we did that. And you could just see in these people's face, they just lit up. Like somebody noticed that I'm, I've been working around here for a long time and doing a good job an important thing. I, I got to thinking about this passage in Philippians and Paul's 10-year partnership with that church. And I got to thinking about those of you who've been partners with us here for 10 years or more. And I'm just interested to know how many of you in this room have stuck with us through thick and thin for 10 years or more. Would you stand up right now? I just want to appreciate you for a moment. 10 years or more. Wow. Thank you. Twenty years. <laughs> Thank you, guys. This church would not be what it is today without you and your faithfulness over the long term. Expressing appreciation. Paul said, "Thank you." It's a simple thing, makes a big difference. All right. Second one. There's a second way to follow Paul's example to strengthen partnerships, and that's to embrace mission. Would you say that with me? Embrace mission. It's interesting. Paul says, um, Philippians, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. One of the things that strengthens a partnership the most is when teammates begin to get really clear on what the mission is that they're trying to accomplish and they commit themselves to accomplishing that mission together. Paul was not the least bit unclear about what the mission was that actually had brought him and the Philippians together in the first place. It was the advancing of the gospel. And all throughout this letter, he talks about the gospel, the gospel, the advancing of the gospel, because that was the mission. And when we reaffirm and reiterate the mission in our partnerships, it strengthens them. Think about small groups for, for a little bit. How many of you are in a small group or ministry team of some sort? Okay, hope that you are. We're going to be starting, God willing, 100 new small groups during this spring when we do our 40 Days of Purpose campaign. Should be room for everybody to get connected in a small group. But, you know, one thing I've noticed about small groups is you got people who get together during the week and they come together and meet in a, a member's home and it's, it's a lot of fun and it's connecting in relationships and it's enjoying great snacks and refreshments and uh, praying for one another and looking into God's word. But sometimes what can happen after a period of time is that group can begin to kind of drift away from a mission, from a sense of mission or purpose. You ever been in a group where that happened? And you start, you start thinking, you know, well, now why are we meeting together? And a smart leader will notice that and will realize, hey, it's my job as a leader to bring this group back to connect with its mission and challenge the group members to, to reaffirm that. That's a good thing. That strengthens that partnership. Oh, yeah, that's why we're getting together. That's our mission. That's where we're headed. Think about families for a minute. We were visiting over the holidays, uh, friends of ours, and... We're standing around in the kitchen talking, and I felt myself drawn to the refrigerator. 
but not for the reasons you'd think, not for what was inside, but for what I was noticing on the front of that refrigerator. You know how refrigerators are, right? You got, what, pictures and phone numbers and soccer schedules and all this stuff. But there on their refrigerator was a piece of paper, and it said, Our Family Mission. And I read it, and there was about three sentences that described what that family was trying to accomplish together. I think that's smart, that parents would take the time to stop and think about why does God have us here in this neighborhood at this time? How does God want to use us in our community? And I think it was smart of them to put it out front so that you know the whole family could be reminded of it every time they went to the refrigerator. Embracing a common mission does that to partnerships. It strengthens it. It reminds us why we came together in the first place. All right, if you're with me so far, nod your head like this, okay? haven't lost you yet. Would you say the first two with me? Number one, express appreciation. Number two, embrace mission. Number three, communicate confidence. Communicate confidence. This is critical in a partnership. Verse 6 is a great verse to memorize. Um, if you're into memorizing Scripture, you ought to memorize Philippians 1.6, where Paul says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. What was he doing? He was communicating confidence, wasn't he? Confidence in God, but also confidence in those people. Tell me if this is true. When you're in a partnership with someone, in a, in a marriage or a business partnership or um, on a ministry, ministry team serving together, one of the quickest ways to undermine that partnership is to communicate a lack of confidence, a lack of trust. Isn't that true? I mean, once... Trust is breached in a partnership. You can forget about accomplishing that mission together. That's not job one. Job one is repairing the relationship, the breach in trust that has occurred in the partnership. Then maybe you can think about working on accomplishing the mission together. A partnership can rarely survive a vote of no confidence. And so I love what Paul does. He says, Philippians, I I am just so confident in God. I'm confident in you. And that strengthened that partnership. Number four. This one's a little scary for some. You know, we think of Paul as a man's man, don't we? Listen to how he strengthened this partnership on this point. He shared feelings. Do you think of Paul as a touchy-feely kind of a guy? I don't really, but but some of the phrases he, he says in this letter, he says, I have you in my heart. Later he says, I long for you all, verse 8, I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And that word affection in the in the original means a deep longing, an ache. <laughs> I ache for you. Say, how can I strengthen some of the the partnerships in my life with my spouse, um, 
with my small group members. Get to the point where you can share feelings. Now, I'm not suggesting that you walk into your office tomorrow and go over to the cubicle next door and look at your colleague and say, I love you, man. (laughs) This should not be faked because people can see right through that, right? And Paul wasn't faking it. He loved these people. He had led many of these people to Christ himself. There was a spiritual connection there. And he said, I want you to know how I feel about you. I care for you deeply. I love you. You know, when we share genuine feelings on this level with someone that we really care about, something changes in the relationship a little bit, doesn't it? Just a different dynamic comes into that relationship when we start sharing on this level. I got a couple of close friends who who over the past three or four months have started... uh, finishing their conversations with me by saying, hey, uh, I love you. And these are guys, okay? And um, I love you. That's changed the dynamic in our relationship a little bit. You mean to tell me that, that, that you care about me that much? That you would express that to me? Now, some of you, this comes naturally to you. You're wired this way, you know, sharing your feelings, unburdening your heart. You, you do that all the time. And so I talk about sharing feelings, and it's like, yeah, I do that. Others of you, sharing your feelings like this is equivalent to standing buck naked in front of someone, you know, <laughs> feeling totally vulnerable. And you're thinking, you know, no way. Let me just say this. If we want to experience the kinds of close-knit partnerships and teamwork that I think God wants us to experience, I think we really in our hearts want to, we've got to get past just factual, functional communication and get down to heart-level communication where life is really lived. Think about those of you who are married with your spouses. It can't just be all about, you know, who's picking up Junior at four and and where's soccer practice tonight and what are we having for dinner and all that. That's just functional communication and it's needed, it's important, but it's got to get beneath that or you'll be missing out on a whole dynamic of relationships that God has for us. Paul said, I long for you. I have affection for you. I love you. And it strengthened that partnership. All right, four things he did to strengthen um, this relationship with this church. And then there's a fifth, and I hope you noticed through all of this passage that we read that in addition to the other things, Paul made a habit of doing something else that he apparently felt was critical to strengthening this partnership. Do you see it? Praying, offering prayers for his partners. Paul prayed for his partners. Again and again in this epistle, we find him saying, I'm praying for you. I prayed this for you. Here's my prayer for you. And I need to ask you today and myself, are you praying for the key partnerships in your life? Did I ask this already in this service? How many of you are married? Did I already ask this? Put your hand up. How many of you are married? Good. And love it. 
Okay, good. <laughs> Do you pray for your spouse? Do you pray for your spouse? Do you? And you're like, yeah, a lot. They need a lot of... <laughs> Do you pray for your small group members? Do you pray for your small group leader? Do you pray for your business associates? You know, this is kind of a mysterious, supernatural thing, but when we pray for people, God puts them in our heart. Let me uh, do an aside here for a minute. I want to talk to those of you in this room whose primary ministry in this church is not teaching or serving, but it's praying. And most of you know who you are. I know who some of you are. But I want you to know that there is an extremely valuable ministry that God has put in the heart of certain people in this room, and it's praying. That's what you gravitate towards. You go through your day, and you see a situation, or a situation confronts you, and your first instinct is to to talk to God about it, to lift someone else up in prayer to God. You could go through a day, and you might find that you've prayed for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 people that day. That's your Ministry. The Bible calls you an intercessor. You're interceding in prayer for other people. And God's been telling me the last few months that in this church, I need to do something to rally the intercessors together. And so I figured it was about time I did something about that. (laughs) And if you're a true intercessor, you don't want the spotlight. And I wouldn't put you in the spotlight. But I'd like to know who you are, because I'd like to meet together with those of you who are intercessors in our church. Why? So you can pray for me! <laughs> and so we can talk about how to best pray for our church. Because you are the, the undergirding, the strengthening force undergirding the ministry of this church. And so when we finish up in a few minutes, and I have you... Um, fill out those cards, I'm going to have you tell, put something on there that will let me know that you're an intercessor in this church. We strengthen our key partnerships by praying for our partners. You know, sometimes it's not that um, we can't pray for our partners, it's that we don't know what to pray for. You ever find yourself in that circumstance? Not sure what to pray for, my spouse or this person or that person. I'm thankful that Paul, in this letter, wrote out exactly what he was praying for, for his partners. It's verses 9 through 11. I want to give them to you real quick. First thing he prayed for is, God, help them to spread lots of love. Verse 9, this I pray, that your love may abound more and more. See, I don't know what to pray for my kids or my spouse or my small group leader. Pray that that their love will just overflow. They'll spread lots of love. Second, he said, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. God, help them to spread lots of love, but help them to love the right things. You know, we shouldn't be just embracing everything that comes, every influence that comes into our lives. Help them to love the right things. Number three, God, help them to make excellent choices. It says, uh, he says, I pray that you will be able to discern what is best. The King James says, approve the things that are excellent. 
not just good, but excellent. Seems like more and more these days, um, one of our kids will come up to us and say, Hey, Mom, Dad, everybody at school is going to see this movie. When are we going to go see it? And we go, well, we've got to check this out. You know, we go to the Internet and look it up and read about what it's all about. And it seems like more often than not, these days we're saying, well, we're not sure that that's best. We're not sure that that's the best choice given some of the images and scenes that are in that movie. So we end up, you know, doing a lot of G-rated, you know, Disney type of stuff. Make excellent choices. Paul says that's something you can pray for your partners, that God will help them to make excellent choices. And then to develop strong character, pure and blameless till the day of Christ, and then to live to glorify God, filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. I want to live to glorify God, don't you? And if someone really cares about you, that's what they want for you. They want that your life would be for his glory. And they're probably praying that for you. And let me just say a couple quick things that I've learned about praying for people, and then we'll be done. I found that I can't pray for someone if I'm mad at them. Well, (laughs) I can pray, you know, God... Break the teeth of the wicked, you know, those kinds of prayers. But I don't know if that's really righteous. I find I have to deal with the anger first, deal with the relationship first, surface those things, then I'll be able to pray for them. I found I can't pray for someone else's success if I'm envious of them. And that's a test, really. If you can't pray that someone else will prosper and succeed and advance, if you can't do that, that's an indicator there's something in here that needs to be addressed, a spirit of rivalry or competition or something. I've found that. I've got to let God deal with my own heart first. I found that praying for other people places them in my heart, even as Paul said. Something happens. I start to care more about them as I'm praying for them. They lodge themselves in my spirit. I found that praying for someone from a pure heart releases God's activity in their life at a new level. And I found that praying for my partners strengthens those partnerships in a special, supernatural sort of way. Not sure how to pray for your spouse, your pastor, your kids? Start here. Start with scriptural prayers. You can't go wrong praying God's word. Let's bow our heads together as we finish this morning. As you think about the joy of partnerships, I, um, I wanted to ask you, how many of you right now would, say, would lift your hands and say, I'm in a partnership right now that brings me great joy, that just brings me great joy? Maybe it's my marriage or my small group or my ministry. Praise God. You can put your hands down. Just take a moment and thank God for that, would you? Just thank God for the joy of partnership, the joy of being linked up with someone. It's a wonderful thing. Who would lift their hand and say, you know, as we've been talking about this this morning, there are some key partnerships in my life that need some help, that need some strengthening. Anybody like that? Raise your hand. I'm thinking of this person or that person and 
Okay, many, many of you. And how many of you would say the Holy Spirit prompted me this morning about something I need to do to strengthen that partnership? Would you lift your hands? There's something I need to do to strengthen that partnership. Put your hands up. Okay. You can put your hands down. How many of you would say, I need God as my teammate. I need God in my life as my partner. And I'm realizing that this morning in a new way. Would you lift your hands up? Amen. Amen. He's there. He's there. Well, as the team comes and we're going to worship with one more song, I'm going to ask you to to, uh, take the back side of your outline there. There's a blank space towards the bottom. And as we worship, just take a moment and write down on that sheet what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do to strengthen that partnership. It helps us sometimes if we write it out and see it and then ask God to give you the strength to do it.